Hello and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Rebecca Valentine. Hayden Taylor. And we're going to be discussing just some of the latest industry headlines. Headlines including Activision's financial results and layoffs. Despite a record year, they have plans to cut 8% of their headcount, amounting to around 800 jobs. Epic Games trying to dismiss rapper 2 Millie's dance lawsuit, where he is he's taking the firm to court over Fortnite using his, his Millie Rock dance as the swipe it emote. Uh, developers refuting Sony's claims that it's open for business on crossplay. I believe it was uh, Chucklefish that said we were told no. Uh, Starbreeze has sold System Shock 3's publishing rights back to Other Side Entertainment. There's the ongoing success of Apex Legends, recently reached 25 million players and a concurrent user count of 2 million. There's been a presidential shuffle at PlayStation with Jim Ryan and John Tsuyoshi Kodero swapping roles, making Ryan the new president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. And of course, there was all the Nintendo Direct announcements last night, which sadly, Rebecca, did not include Animal Crossing. I'm crying. I can imagine. I was waiting for your reaction just to see see how you. Oh, I only watched kind of half of it initially. Like, but what did would uh, briefly kind of on a let's start on a positive note. What did you think of the uh, the direct the direct last night? I loved it. I I didn't expect Animal Crossing. I really didn't. I honestly think that that's going to be their big E three game, which I'm stoked about because that means they'll have a fantastic Animal Crossing themed booth. Um, but yeah, it was it was really exciting. They always they always seem to surprise me. I thought that. Um, the uh oh and I, I just lost the name um the the zelda game the 2d zelda game what are they remaking links links awakening it, links links awakening that's right i haven't played that one um but i've heard wonderful things about it and it looks adorable and beautiful and i'm so excited to play that um and then oh gosh what else box boy was a really nice little indie surprise i love the other box boy games i think that's gonna be great fire emblem looks great i mean really it all looks great like nintendo is great at showmanship in those directs and just coming out with surprises one after another. It was uh, our publisher, Chris During, he mentioned that it was a very Japanese-oriented direct, which I thought was a good and interesting observation. Lots of lots of RPGs, uh, lots of more um, Japanese franchises, a uh, lo- lot of stuff from Square Enix, uh, Dragon Quest, Rune Factory, Tokyo RPG Factory RPG, a lot of things like that. So that was interesting. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was it was very kind of Japanese centric, which is not always a, a bad thing. But I, I, it does make me wonder slash hope: Are we going to get another direct in a couple of months with more kind of Western themed releases? They they do usually. I mean, just kind of looking at how they've done things in the past, and I'm not looking at like a past schedule of directs or anything. But they do usually have two kind of at the front of the year. Like they have one to kind of set up their spring releases, and then another to sort of like set up the summer. And then E3 is all of their big stuff. So I, mm. I mean, I would expect another one probably in like April or so. That's maybe not as big. Maybe a lot of indies. Um, I say we've already had an indies one um, in January, didn't we? Had we, we had the latest indie, Nindies showcase. Sorry, Nindies. See what they did there. SteamWorld so, yeah. Quest, for example. Yes, SteamWorld Quest, um, which you did a great interview oh. with the uh, developers recently, Hayden. Yeah, I chatted to them at the uh, Yorkshire Games Festival. Um, up at the Bradford Media and Science Museum, and yeah, sort of about their. Uh, I don't know. I, I sort of described the like SteamWorld games as like an anthology, for like lack of a better term, because they never. I mean, they did like SteamWorld Dig Two, but all their games set in the same universe are just completely different from each other. So yeah, I wrote an article about the kind of the weird challenges and successes which has come out of that. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting take on doing a series and building a franchise around multiple genres. I thought that was a really interesting kind of anecdotally. I know a bunch of people who who love all of the SteamWorld games, even though some of them go into genres that they aren't usually fans of, but it's, they, they've become fans of the property. So, yeah, it's worked, it's worked out well for me. Sort of compared it to being um, a recording artist who releases, you know, the first album, people are like, oh, this is pretty good, and then just releases something completely different. Um, but sort of fans are just kind of along for the ride at that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, it was it was good Nintendo Direct overall. I thought it really emphasised the point that um, Chris, our publisher, usually makes, which is that they they Nintendo really don't need kind of things like E3 or Gamescom or Tokyo Game Show or whatever to to make their big announcements. They can just kind of dominate the news cycle whenever they want. Case in point, everyone's talking this morning about the the Zelda remake and Super Mario Maker Two and Fire Emblem and all these these stuff that came out. And that's in the middle of a week where obviously. Activision and Apex Legends and all these other things, all these financial results have kind of dominated the conversation. Um, I guess we really, really should tackle then the the Activision story. Um, you guys have been reporting on this quite quite heavily. I, I mean, thoughts, guys. <laughs> it was a very painful uh, earnings call to listen to um, because we we knew kind of like, I mean, we've been reading rumors about it for months. We've been hearing, you know, people talking about it on Twitter for, you know, a week ahead of time that these huge layoffs were coming. And then, you know, we, we knew it was going to come out in the investor call. And I, I mean, you, you know, you can kind of, I know, I know it was an earnings call. I know they were talking to their investors, but the way it was presented, it was, just, you know, it was just really harsh and it was hard to listen to um, I mean, 800 people. And then, you know, kind of finding out in bits and pieces afterwards where those jobs were lost. Just uh, it, it was it was just very hard to listen, especially in comparison with the fact that they had a record year. Like, great. Yeah, when I when I saw that number, I presumed that, um, and me and you were chatting about this earlier, James. But I presumed that um, with sort of Call of Duty not quite selling as much as previous ones and sort of the split with Bungie. I was like, okay, I mean, I can sort of see how maybe they've had a rough year. Um, and then, no, record year, and everything's fine, but 800 people are out of a job. Um, it sort of just, I don't know, just doesn't really add up. No, I think, I think that's what's really kind of stoked the fire a bit this time around, and particularly with, um, you know, the, the executives are all on, on massive salaries. There's uh, reports of, like, uh, the CFO getting a $15 million sweetener kind of when he took the job. Like, it's it's really wound people up, um, both industry and kind of consumer alike, that, you know, Activision is this gigantic company making, you know, massive amounts of profit and billions in revenue and yet can say, actually, yeah, we don't need 800 people. One thing I would say about the CFO getting that uh, 15 million sweetener is um, the majority of that was paid in shares rather than cash. Um, but it's still, I, I think it was still about $3 million in cash. Yeah, so it's not an insubstantial pay, but... Some of it was also, it also hasn't been paid out yet, right? It's performance-based, is that correct? Yes, I, I think the shares are based on performance. Right, but, but still, still. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of headline... You know, just just that very basic detail, $15 million sweetener. Like, it, it's just that sort of figure that will just rub people up the wrong way. I mean, to an extent, I, I, I do see it from, from Activision's point of view in that, you know, two episodes back, we discussed Activision specifically. We spent the whole episode talking about Activision. Um, this was in the wake of the Bungie split. And 
as we said, like that that company has multiple publishing teams, you know, one for Activision, one for Blizzard, multiple marketing teams, PR teams, you know, same, you know, split the same way. They had entire people dedicated to Destiny, which is a franchise they no longer have a role in. So you can see how the structure itself may have become bloated. Anecdotally, like um I know through, you know, kind of friend of a friend, someone who works at, at um Activision, and they for the last month or so, they had little to nothing to do because there's nothing happening in their franchise and there just there wasn't and of course you know building up to these layoffs and like the the, um, the management just could not tell them yep you right. don't have a job i'm afraid they had to wait for this sort of announcement and that that just must be beyond frustrating to know that everything your company is working on and, and you know the portfolio is slimming down so much i mean they have literally just got you know, Call of Duty, we said this on the Activision show, Call of Duty, Crash, Spyro, um, Overwatch, Hearthstone, Blizzard are so, so slow with their releases. Or, you know, they, Blizzard have said, we've got no major releases coming in this year. They've got Diablo Immortal, obviously, but apart from that, nothing. So to have an entire company that's got publishing, marketing, PR staff with nothing to do this year, I can see why they have to trim that down. That part was actually the most interesting to me because I'm I'm a big Blizzard fan. You know, I love World of Warcraft. I love Hearthstone. I love all the stuff they do. But I thought it was interesting to read about the tensions in Blizzard and Activision and how, you know, Activision is expecting, you know, they're, they're the kind of company, they have a Call of Duty every single year. They have, you know, these other new releases coming out this year, even though they don't have a ton to do. They still have new releases every single year. And Blizzard just doesn't do that. You know, they take things slow. They have these kind of long running franchises that they sort of work on really, really slowly. And that kind of tension between the two groups and what their philosophies are was interesting to me. And I, I'm very curious to see what this transition year is going to bring for Blizzard specifically, um, because, you know, it seems like they're kind of giving up on Heroes of the Storm because that hasn't been profitable for them. Um, Overwatch and Hearthstone have been, I know, I know that they're doing pretty well in esports from what I understand. Maybe that's wrong because um, I know they did cut a bunch of the esports teams over there. But just as far as I think it's more that the esports is just taking longer yeah. to take off than they had hoped. But that is the nature of esports. From everyone I've spoken to who is trying to build up an esports, they say that this is a long term proposition. You can't, you know, suddenly have this incredible, massively successful league within, you know, two, three years. It is a five, ten year right, plan. Yeah. But so like Overwatch and Hearthstone have been kind of stagnant on the um, non competitive side. Uh, the last World of Warcraft expansion has not been received very well. Um, it just it, it just kind of seems like they have, and there's nothing going on with StarCraft. They're apparently working on new major Diablo things, but we'll see those in 2019. So yeah, it just it seems like Blizzard is in a really bizarre place right now. And I I, I love the stuff that they make, but I'm I'm kind of worried about where it's going to go. Sorry, Rebecca, as the um, resident World of Warcraft expert, I mean, perhaps you can shed some light on this. I thought that the last expansion was seen very well. I thought they were sort of posting like record numbers and sort of the highest player count they'd seen in years and all sorts of stuff like that. Is that was that maybe not the full picture? My understanding, so the, the last expansion, the previous one to this Legion was received very well. People loved that expansion. Um, I mean, we don't, Blizzard doesn't give specific numbers very often, so we don't, you know, really know what player counts were like, but it was apparently, it, it, was, it was very good. Um, when Battle for Azeroth first released, um, they did have, um, and they said they had record numbers of, I, I think, like pre-orders or you know, people purchasing day one or something. And they, they did have a very good response because Legion had been so well received. People were very excited for Battle for Azeroth. 
Um, but my understanding, and again, they don't give specific numbers, but just from kind of see, seeing what the little tidbits that Blizzard has dropped and from kind of, you know, being among the community, Battle for Azeroth is not going all that great. That might have changed since they just came out with a new patch, but uh, people people in general haven't been super happy with the and so I'm kind of right. wondering. They they so did they had a little mention in their financials that they were seeing player drop off in World of Warcraft that was normal for later in an extension, mm. but I mean that because the narrative around when it released and I saw this in a lot of places was it was all super positive yeah. um, sort of coverage and, and the story was that it things were going well for Blizzard in the for Warcraft. So it's kind of interesting to see that actually that's not really the full picture. Yeah, it's always like that when an expansion launches because they're very good at doing like, you know, the initial like the first two weeks or so when everyone's leveling through the content and experiencing it for the first time, everyone's very excited. But it's it's keeping that going for months and months and months that they I, I, it's very hit or miss for them and has been mm. the last several years. It sounds like Blizzard are in the more precarious position than Activision. Activision, at least, you know, Call of Duty may not be doing the record-breaking numbers it used to, but is still, you know, one of the best-selling games every single year. Spyro and Crash, well, Spyro lesser extent, but Crash has done 10 million units. Whereas Blizzard, as you say, Blizzard's not the most comforting prospect for a shareholder, I guess, because as you say, like right. they take their time, they they put things out when it's ready, rather than putting things out to. You know what the financial you know, year needs, but I, I mean, I, towards the end of the year, there were kind of rumors going around that Activision was essentially going to absorb Blizzard because it's weird. As much as they merged years ago, they are still two separate companies, as we said. Like, yeah, there's a separate Blizzard yeah. team and an Activision team. The the rumor was that Activision was going to absorb Blizzard into it. I don't know if that will happen though, because I, purely on the perception of there's such a massive fan base and a community around blizzard in the way that there isn't around activision again just look at that diablo immortal reaction you wouldn't have got that when they, well you didn't get that when they announced a call of duty mobile game but you did with diablo like that that larger fan base i don't know if you could just kind of quietly tuck away a brand that commands that much enthusiasm i was gonna say i think i think they're more likely to cut blizzard free than they are to absorb them almost because i think there's like the fan attachment that blizzard has and like the sort of dedicated fan following is it is very much a fan of blizzard rather than uh, say activision where it's like people are a fan of call of duty and they don't care who publishes it so i think blizzard that might be it's perhaps it's lifeline in all of this but um it might be optimistic to think that activision would effectively just sever off that part of the business and just kick it out into the wild like it did with bungie yeah, I can't imagine that would happen. But, um, I I do agree with Hayden. <laughs> I do agree with Hayden. Like the there is in general in the Blizzard community a very strong sense of distrust toward Activision. Um, a lot of like just you know from being on community forums and kind of like hearing what people are saying, um, people aren't. They they just generally feel like like anything anything that kind of happens bad in the Blizzard world that comes from on high is activision's fault somehow yeah. um, and mm. sometimes that's probably true um so yeah i i feel like i feel like absorbing blizzard would be just a really that it would just be terrible for basically all the blizzard properties like it would just kill trust in most of those franchises i think to an extent that's still that's that's the typical consumer narrative of all oh, big AAA publisher either whereas community driven fan brand you know good like when they split from bungie when activision split from bungie 
the amount of you know congratulations on on Twitter and social media and Reddit forums. Like everyone's like, yes, Bungie is free of Activision. You're free of the shackle. Like 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 Activision had been oppressing them for the last you know eight yeah. years. But you know without without Activision, Destiny wouldn't have been released. It was a publishing agreement. Bungie at the time when it left Microsoft did not have the capacity to release and run something like. Um, destiny occasion but some some of the layoffs um i believe for for activision have been there have been internal developers who were supporting destiny and helping to keep destiny running they obviously are not not needed now unfortunately but yeah there was just this 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 hooray bungie is free it's like no this was a mutual decision like activision also wanted you know also did not see the point in continuing the 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 Bungie partnership. It was not like the you know that Bungie broke for freedom. Activision also said, "Yeah, actually, we've had a good time. We're done." I think the real issue is how Activision Blizzard have handled this mess. Oh, massively! Like, yeah, making eight hundred people redundant is obviously terrible, but there is a way to do that, and they haven't done that. Like they they said that there's going to be sort of certain benefits and things like that, but um, sort of redundancy payments and things, but when and again we were sort of discussing this earlier when you have this kind of this open secret of like these jobs are going to go and yet the official line is no well we're not saying anything like you kind of you would rather know that the sword is hanging over your head so you can start trying to get out from underneath it rather than just sitting there like i don't know in the sort of grim silence expecting death but having no real sort of confirmation that it's coming and i think that that whole thing is just such a mess there were also those um you know that report yesterday um that like there were a lot of departments that thought that they were safe and then they were mm. not safe they were just like completely gutted i mean king closed two whole studios in seattle mm. and san francisco I mean, yeah yeah i think the difficulty is it, the, the worst part of it is the well i mean the worst part of it is that 800 people are losing your jo- their jobs there's no escaping that but right, yeah. the worst part of how activision have handled it is it's the timing they've done it just after announcing record profits so you know the headlines you're seeing is oh you know activision blizzard prioritizing people over profits that's the common the common phrase i've been seeing this week um but if they'd announced it like a month ago then they'd have announced the yeah when they released these results People don't like. Well, why have you let so many people go? Equally, if they did it late at a later stage, people would be like, "Well, hang on, you've just made you know eight hundred, you know, not eight hundred. You've just made like record profits. Why have you let these people go?" There's never going to be a good time to say, "Yep, we're trimming eight hundred jobs." I think what's going to be really gutting is, as they say, like Activision are now in this kind of transition year, and in terms of Activision specifically, so not Activision Blizzard as a whole, but Activision specifically, presumably that is looking for another billion dollar franchise to replace Destiny, to replace Skylanders, to replace Guitar Hero, to basically replace the non-Call of Duty source of revenue that they don't have anymore. As and when they bulk up their portfolio and they have something else that is generating the amount of money they hope for that is meeting their financial expectations, they are presumably going to have to bulk up again and start hiring again. And then 800 people are going to be even more ticked off. Yeah. They're already, they're hiring what, like they're increasing their development staff by 20%, which is, you know, not going to make up for the 800 jobs. I mean, you know, nothing does, but they're, they're still already pulling those resources in. And 
they said that one of the places that they're hiring, they're hiring for core core franchises they already have, but they also said that they're hiring a lot um, for incubator teams. So they're they're trying to do exactly what you just said. Sony is still struggling to convince people that it is interested in crossplay. This has become a very kind of a loaded narrative against platform holders, unfortunately. Like they they have been very slow to it. They've had both Nintendo and Microsoft have, have joined forces against them saying, hey, look, we do crossplay. Why don't you? There's you know, they kind of we thought it started to settle down when they announced that Fortnite was going crossplay, and I believe Rocket League is next. Um, but they've just been very slow. And then, yeah, just since the start of the year, developer, and particularly in the last week, developers have been saying, uh, actually, they're they're a lot less open than they they claim. Well, yeah, the crazy thing about this is uh, the CEO of Chucklefish saying that they were basically just flat out told, no, it's not going to happen. Which, when you consider Sean Layton is saying we're open for business, Fortnite worked out pretty well. Let's do more of this. Is I mean, that is a conflicting narrative <laughs> right there. Um, and I just, I don't really understand what PlayStation's position is because publicly it's for them, it's great for them to say, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do crossplay. This is, this is what people want and we'll provide that. And then kind of behind the scenes um, going against that, that sort of public messaging. And I'm not sure if it's just a case of like internal communications in Sony, it's not getting across or if they're secretly just trying to desperately cling on to like the last vestiges of their dominance or what the real strategy is. I tend to lean more towards like incompetence rather than malice, but it's certainly not a great position for the devs who are sort of thinking about their games in terms of cross-platform and then just being running just straight up against the wall. Yeah. I mean, Layden's, the, the, the ongoing part of the debate that I'm, I'm interested in is the whole, you know, oh, it's just a flick of a switch. Um, so we kind of prove, like, I think it was Fortnite last year, someone did flick the wrong switch and was able to connect PS4 with Xbox <laughs> on a PC. Um, you know, Wargroove, um, you know, Chucklefish's CEO, he said, like, yeah, we can just flick a switch. And yet Sean Layden is like, it's not just flicking a switch. We've got to get all these different departments in, in line. That sounds like kind of corporate organization and, and corporate policy rather than the technical ability to do crossplay, um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an odd one. Like I I I, don't, I do see their argument of well, we don't need crossplay because there are so many people playing on our platform. It's not like people are short of of opponents and short of you know other players to play against. But that's not the point. The point is being able to play against people that you know and play against your friends who may not have the same platform i thought actually rebecca you did a great interview with um super evil megacorp um which is such a great company name um given that they don't appear to be a super evil megacorp um but vainglory obviously like they, they've developed vainglory the mobile moba as they're trying to build it in a kind of a post-platform way they want it to be the same on mobile that they do on pc and i just thought that the ceo had some great points like actually yeah we are getting to the point where we expect all forms of entertainment to be, you know, of, of parity across all different platforms. And cross-platform play or cross-play is is a massive step towards that. 
Yeah. Um, so it's the game Banglory. It started on iOS and then it's on Android and they just released on PC and Mac this week. It's also on a bunch of hybrid platforms, which I thought was really interesting. And he he said he couldn't say anything specific about it, but they are, you know, they really want to be on console as well. And that's they said that was one of their goals for 2019, but they're not being specific as to whether they'll have it ready for 2019 or not. But yeah, it, it wasn't just a cross-platform play, but also cross-platform parity and having, because it, it is an eSport, and having people be able to play at a competitive level on whatever platform they want and have it be basically equal. And I thought that was fascinating, um, talking to him, um, basically saying that 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 is the future and that it's really a disadvantage for people not to allow cross-platform play because you know in in the end it, it's enabling people to like what you said to play with the people that they want to play with no matter what platform they have and just have it not even be an issue and considering i mean he said this is not it's not necessarily easy to do but if you just go in with that mindset to begin with then you're automatically going to have a bigger audience i mean ultimately sort of the exclusivity or lack of cross-play it only really serves PlayStation ultimately because yeah. they've got the dominant market share and they want to keep on to that dominant market share. So, and also it, it's kind of, it, it's, I think there is a little bit of dishonesty on part of Xbox to try and sort of appear like the good guy in all of this because I almost certainly, if they were in PlayStation situation, they would be doing exactly the same thing. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. Like, and this, this, this Nintendo is the as well. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Both Nintendo and Microsoft, you can see why they're pushing play because, yeah, Xbox has a much, much smaller user base than um, PlayStation 4, and Switch's user base is obviously still getting off the ground. It's only two years old. So, yeah, the, the bigger an audience they can offer their users, the more satisfying an online experience they can deliver, and therefore the kind of the more positive the perception of playing online on Nintendo and Xbox devices. So yeah, I can absolutely see why they're pushing for it. And it's, it, it's why it's, I think I can't remember who described it as an almost an easy PR win to, yeah, be, yep. We're, 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 we're for the players to kind of coin PlayStation's marketing slogan. Um, we're the ones for the players because we're pushing for crossplay. I think also to an extent like crossplay is, not crossplay i kind of associate like it's similar to backwards compatibility in that there is this thing that we all think that we want that we all agree should be a good idea but in practice how often do we use it i mean i think that we maybe use it more often than backwards compatibility oh, just yeah definitely just, yeah well, but, well just because of the fact that there are so many and especially now that you know we have all these battle royale games but there there are just so many multiplayer games that are coming out on multiple systems now and I mean, right now, I only have a Nintendo Switch, and I would love to play more games with my friends, but, you know, they're all on, you know, PC and PS4 and Xbox or whatever, and I can't necessarily play with them all the time. And it's it's frustrating. And so it would be really nice if I was able to join in on my Switch. And, and I am, you know, more and more now that, you know, they're, the Switch is working, you know, games like Fortnite um, with cross-platform play, but... Yeah, I mean, I I would like that option more often. I really would. Also, as a as a smaller side, I think it's good for games which we're not in that position yet, but games that are perhaps getting a little bit older and do still have online communities, but they're perhaps a bit more niche. Um, and it, it's much harder to sustain long term like health of online communities when you're limited to just one platform. Yeah. And I think when that starts happening, that's when you start seeing servers for games turned off um like demon souls turned off its servers like a few years ago now 
but that was like that was a real sort of like punch to the gut for me just because it was i don't know is it, it i just played a lot of it <laughs> and to kind of just see it see it go like that so the thought that it might be able to keep these online communities alive by just spreading out the player base across the different platforms I think that's kind of an underappreciated benefit of um, a cross-platform play. Yeah, no, that's true. That will, it will keep these kind of long-tail games as a service online titles, like online for longer. Like, as you say, like platform's respective user base kind of diminishes. Yeah, it's easier to keep them all together. I don't know if we'll start seeing it reverse-engineered into games like Demon's Souls, I'm afraid. I think we are still going to no. all that older games, but yeah. No, I see what Demon's Souls HD remake, it has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've moved on. It's all Dark Souls now. <laughs> well, um, there was a really interesting uh, comment from Miyazaki, basically saying about how he was a little bit wary of a Demon Souls remaster because it was kind of some of his earlier work. And you know what it's like when you look back at your like early writing. You're like, eh, it's, I can see why it's good, but also, God, I hate everything about it. He kind of has that relationship with it because it's from like 2000 and. Ugh. God, 2009 <laughs> or something, I think now. So to look back at that after having made like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, it's it's a weird game and it's kind of shonky in a lot of places. So I can see how he might be kind of oddly reluctant to have it dragged out into the light of day and like overanalyzed again. No, that's fair enough. And um, we are running short of time, so I might start wrapping this up. Before we do, I did I did want to mention briefly the Epic Games trying to dismiss the lawsuit with um, 2 milli. Um, I know that this is an ongoing story. I know it's honestly quite silly. And obviously a bunch of com other companies who have got you know, recognisable dancers in their games, so things like Playground Games um, in Forza Horizon 4, the emotes you can get in that for like the Carlton and other various, various other recognisable dance moves, they have been removed. But I thought it was interesting that Epic is proper doubling down. It's like, no, this is absolutely like not comparable which is daft when there are youtube comparisons like, like <laughs> side by side of the two dances i just thought it was interesting that they're they're proper doubling down there i think what they're trying to do is set a precedent if they can defend against this one and say that a dance cannot be copyrighted then they can then use that use that precedent to kind of dismiss all the other lawsuits they face at the moment and i wonder if <laughs> I wonder if two Millie is the weak link because, like, the honestly. So I wrote the story, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bore you with the the full description now <laughs> of um, of what they think is the difference. Epic are insisting that the Millie Rock and Swipe It, the emote in Fortnite, are substantially different and therefore not. Yeah, like, they're, 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 sorry, that there is no substantial similarity between. Millie's alleged work, and I do that in air quotes, and Fortnite. And they went into absurd <laughs> detail. They said, the dance step, so Millie's routine, consists of a side step to the right while swinging the left arm horizontally across the chest to the right and then reverse, reversing the same movement on the other side. By contrast, swipe it consists of varying arm movements, sometimes using a straight horizontal arc across the chest and other times starting below the hips and then tra traveling on a diagonal arc across the body. You know what? I've already bored myself reading that description. <laughs> like, but the fact that they're going into such like, oh, the arms are slightly different. Like, it's, it, like I said, there are gifts, and we've got a gif, a uh, comparison gif at the bottom of that story where you do see the two dancers together and you can see the similarity. So I'm intrigued to see how well this defense will stand up because if it does set a precedent, then they, then they and other companies will be able to get away with murder when it comes to all these dance emotes. I think you might be onto something about it setting a precedent, although 
I think like big big companies like this, they tend to just fight it to the bitter end, basically, until they realize that it it's no longer tenable. I mean, if you look at like EA's stance on loot boxes in Belgium, like they were they were prepared to go to court until it kind of became obvious that actually that's that's not going to work. But they were fighting it for a pretty long time. And I think that's just kind of the sort of the corporate attitude of like, you don't tell us what to do. We are, you know, we're epic games. So I, yeah, I I do sort of see what you mean though about perhaps trying to set a precedent. I just I just think it'd be an interesting one to follow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm curious as to if whatever precedent it sets kind of bleeds beyond just dance moves. Um mm. like like, like if it, I mean, I mean I, I'm trying to think of what else it could affect, but I mean, I mean, like d- different emotes and things like that, like, because there was the, there's also the orange, 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 ki- orange shirt kid or whatever, whose dance um, got into, I think, Fortnite or whatever. And now his mom is suing them as well. And I mean, I mean, th- there's a whole bunch of people going after them. Yeah. And, 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 for for ver- various dance moves. And I'm just. I'm very curious as to how how this it's all going to get settled one way or the other. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna split. Well, it could it so. could extend extend into like you know poses. You know, you, you think of like Mo Farah or Jane Bolt. They've got their their own like distinctive pose, like their victory pose. Like you know, those could be put in like and to an extent, like you can see from Epic Games' point of view, like right, these things are popular and people want to use them because they relate to them. So you can see why they've put them in. Obviously, had you know Fortnite not made billions last year, I don't think people would be as upset about this. I think that's more the issue is that they're they're making money from this. Had these been free emotes and you know available in the game for free, I don't think it would have been an issue. But because they are profiting from them and they are profiting from you know, depending on, on how the court rules it, profiting from someone else's copyrighted work. That's why it's it's such a big deal. I'm just I'm just I'm just fascinated by this particular story and seeing how this yeah. goes. I think um I'm just looking at the uh, the comparison gif now, and I think Epic may actually it probably is Epic's strongest case, but I think that's mainly because it's not a particularly distinctive dance to begin with. No, but that's it's not I mean, like yeah. you know the Cartland dance, which is, is immediately recognisable. This is just kind of a guy moving left and right. That's the thing. I think <laughs> like, because because the Millie. Because the Millie Rock is a little bit more freestyle. I mean, the best comparison was if you ever look up the um, the beat for beat comparison between um, Donald Faison from Scrubs, his dance to Poison, and then a mm. similar remote. It is move for move, like you're kind of inch for inch the same dance routine. So obviously they're not mm. defending against that one because they can't. But this one yeah. becomes <laughs> a bit more freestyle. Yeah, they think that they. I, I think they think if they can defend against this one and set a precedent because well you know they're not similar enough they can then go to all these other dance all these other court cases and say well dances aren't copyrightable so sorry goodbye um (laughs) yeah you you might be onto something i I think it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out right we are short on time thank you so much for joining me guys thank you very much we'll be back next week with more gaming headlines more topical in the meantime you can find our previous episodes on spotify itunes stitcher pocket cast Player FM, Overcast, all podcasting providers that you care to name. And of course, you can find your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Mm-hmm.